Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, October 8th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. And in our feature presentation, Huay Tran Bui is going to join us to talk about New York Comic Con. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Ben is back, everybody. That is exciting. Hey. Uh, well, you're not fully back. You're you're in Kansas City right now. I am. Yeah, I just uh, came from a, a week long vacation in Hawaii, and now my wife has a, a work event in Kansas City, and I am tagging along and eating barbecue and hanging out and working from a hotel room right now. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear about your Hawaii trip, but we'll do that uh, tomorrow on the water cooler, possibly. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's jump into the news because we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, let's start things off with a John Wick spinoff, which has been revealed. It's going to be directed by Live Free or Die Hard director Lynn Wiseman. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so there's this movie called Ballerina, which has been in the works since 2017, and it is a John Wick spinoff film. It's a female-centric movie, and Lynn Wiseman is going to be directing it. Lynn Wiseman, you may know him, aside from Live Free or Die Hard, from directing a couple of the Underworld movies. And Ballerina is a spinoff which, quote, focuses on a young female assassin who seeks revenge against the people who killed her family. And that's the extent of what we know about it. Uh, the ballerina character briefly showed up in John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum at the Academy that was run by Angelica Houston's character. Um, but I don't think she had any real speaking lines or, or, or certainly not a, a big role. Um, and it's unclear if the same actress who appeared in Parabellum is going to be reprising that role in the spinoff. We know that Chad Stahelski, the director of the first uh, three John Wick movies uh, and Keanu Reeves, the star of those movies, are going to be on board as producers here, but it's unclear whether Reeves is going to show up uh, in a cameo role. But uh, yeah, that, that's about what we know so far. And, and I'm, I'm guessing those guys are going to be on board to help expand this world because they've created this world of John Wick. And, uh, you know, it's, since this John Wick series is still ongoing, it's not like they can just go any which direction they choose with this ballerina movie, right? 
Right. And John Wick Chapter 4, we already know, is coming out in 2021. And I think earlier this summer, we found out that The Continental, the TV spinoff of the John Wick <laughs> movies, is uh, still in the works, but probably won't arrive on stars until after John Wick Chapter 4 hits theaters. So, yes, it seems like this world is expanding. Um, it's unclear when this movie is going to take place or, you know, when it's actually going to be released and how it's going to fit into the chronology of everything. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's there in the works. I'm a little bummed, I have to say, Peter, about Lynn Wiseman because I'm just not thrilled with his work as a director. Um, and and especially, you know, coming off of Chad Stahelski, who is has tons of experience as a stunt guy and a second unit director and, and has really created this visceral visual style for these John Wick movies, to have somebody else jump in that person, in my mind, has to be, you know, a, a very competent action director, and that's not exactly how I would describe Lynn Wiseman. Yeah, Wiseman is more, I think, like standard Hollywood action, and his stuff feels very cold and mm -hmm. not really much. Uh, Chris, do you have any opinions on Lynn Wiseman? Uh, he stinks, and he should not still be working, and I don't understand why so many filmmakers get to fail up in this industry while others <laughs> can't get really good projects off the ground. That's what I think of Len Wiseman. <laughs> well, you know, who would have thought when this original film, John Wick came out that there would be TV series, there would be, you know, multiple sequels. There would be a, uh, you know, a spinoff with a ballerina character. It's just insane. Uh, but of all the spinoffs, I mean, the continental makes sense to me. Does the ballerina like I, I remember when, when this came up in the Slack channel, Ben, you were like, wait, the ballerina from the last movie, like like she had like such a small part. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it may be her. It may be that Angelica Houston's character, you know, she was running this sort of ballerina academy and the worlds of ballet performers and uh, and assassins have been linked in pop culture for a long time. So. I guess it makes sense in that regard. And I'm wondering if it's going to be sort of like a taken two type of scenario where the ballerina who's trying to hunt down the person who killed her family, maybe she hunts down John Wick. Maybe John Wick accidentally like headshotted her dad or something. And like, you know, she makes it personal. But I don't know if Keanu Reeves would actually, you know, be interested in playing a, a major role in this spinoff or not. But um, I wonder what what the. Uh, what the real premise of this thing is going to be, what the hook is going to be, because without Keanu Reeves and especially with Lynn Wiseman directing, it just seems like another run of the mill action movie. So yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to have to incorporate that mythology and build out that world in an interesting way to get people hooked on this one. Yeah. Well, from this cinematic universe to another cinematic universe, let's talk about Marvel. Uh, I think last week we were talking about how Avengers Endgame Disney was, uh, promoting Avengers Endgame for multiple awards, one of which was not a best acting award for Robert Downey Jr. And Chris, I think it was you who said that maybe it's because Robert Downey Jr. just has no interest in, uh, you know, campaigning for this award. And right. it turns out that that is the case. Yes, that is exactly the case. Robert Downey Jr. was on the Howard Stern show and this came up. And he gave a very short, sweet answer. And he said, basically, Marvel brought it up to him. And he said, let's not. That's really it. That's the entire <laughs> quote. He didn't really want to campaign for it because I don't know if like the, the casual movie garden knows this, but campaigning for Oscars, it 
really is like campaigning. You have to go to all these events and you have to meet with all these people. It's like running for office, basically. It's like it, running for it's president. It's a full-time job. You can't even right. like be working – like he can't be working on another movie and campaign – Right. You can't. It's you know, you you know, if you're out there under the weird notion that the Oscars are given out on merit, you are incorrect. It's really (laughs) all about how much butt you kiss while campaigning for the award. So and Robert Jr. just obviously didn't feel like doing that. And I can't blame him. He's very wealthy. He (laughs) can just sit back and relax. He doesn't need Oscars. And, you know, that's that's where he is. He's not in the mood to campaign for it. So I guess that's probably a little disappointing for Marvel fans, but uh, that's the way it is. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, okay, let's talk about the Marvel Marvel's Infinity Saga box set. This is something that was announced by Kevin Feige when he was accepting his award at the Saturn Awards. And now we, over the weekend, we got a glimpse at what this actually is going to be. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so this thing is, it includes all 23 Marvel Cinematic Universe films. It has an exclusive bonus disc that will not be available on digital. And this has never-before-seen deleted scenes and extended scenes, all sorts of stuff like that. It's it's 23 individually packaged 4K and Blu-ray cases. There's a letter from Kevin Feige in it. There's a numbered limited edition uh, Infinity Saga, like, poster looking thing that appears to have the signatures of the cast on it I, although i don't think it's like their actual signatures it's probably just you know a stamp or something uh there's a piece of artwork by matt ferguson who's done a, a bunch of great marvel art over the years that we've featured on the site and this thing is going to set you back quite a lot of money it costs 549 dollars and 99 cents so Whoa. um yeah it's it's a bunch uh, brad actually broke down the the cost here and said that's $90 more than what you would pay if you bought each movie for about $20, which is generally what they cost on regular Blu-ray. But if you were to buy all of them individually on 4K, around $25 each, then you'd actually be saving about 25 bucks. So, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, any way you slice it, this is a large amount of money. And, you know, especially for people who are diehard Marvel fans, those are the people who are going to go out and buy this thing. But those are paradoxically the same people who probably already own a lot of these movies on 4K or Blu-ray already. So. Oh, like any franchise that their fans are in love with, uh, make them buy it twice, three times. That, that That's the the marketing plan here. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. The, the thing that I'm kind of dis- – I'm disappointed with this all around. Number one, when Kevin Feige announced this and he was like, we're going to be for the first time opening the Marvel Vault. Like he made it sound like it was like this – incredible thing like we're gonna get to see footage that's never been revealed and he showed that scene uh that alternate uh iron man ending scene i was like oh this marvel vault disc is gonna be cool and you see the picture of it and that's and it just says marvel studios bonus on on the thing it looks so unassuming and uninteresting i i know i i like um i like the artwork but it's 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 very like this is just like a box set uh, in terms of like, and by the way, I'm not saying it shouldn't just be a box set, but like the Marvel phase one collection came in this like briefcase that was a replica of the briefcase that the Tesseract was contained in. I think the Marvel phase two box set came in what the orb from guardians of the galaxy or something, something like that, something crazy, like these big elaborate reproductions. And this just like, looks like a normal box set that comes with a poster with the signatures of 
what like Kevin Feige and Robert Downey Jr. But not <laughs> I, actually I don't know, their Peter, signatures. I think, I think you you missed the part where this entire thing is housed in a full size Hulkbuster armor that knocks down your front door when it's delivered <laughs> to your house. So I I don't know what you're talking about here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm conflicted, too, because either way, like, it's not like I have the sh- – well, I don't buy physical media anymore. But when I did, uh, and I would buy these elaborate collector's editions, like, it's not like they easily fit on your shelf the way that, like, a DVD box set is. So I, I think someone like Chris maybe could appreciate the fact that they're just, like, it's just a box set. But it doesn't seem like this – like, the presentation of this is lacking, especially for the price tag. Uh, uh, Chris, what do you think of this? Uh, this is the uh, this is highway robbery, and Marvel and Disney should be ashamed of themselves because <laughs> the last thing they need is more money. And this is I who the hell wants to spend this money on that? I wouldn't spend this money on like something I really wanted. Like if there was like a Steven Spielberg box set, I would still not spend five hundred plus dollars on that. That's you, you would. You would. No, absolutely you not. You definitely would. No, I would I would email the publicist and I would say, Could you please send me this for free? <laughs> yeah, but most people don't have that ability. If you were not writing about movies for a living, you'd spend it. No, absolutely I've never spent over like a hundred bucks tops on okay. on a movie related thing. I'm not no. <laughs> I can't do it. Not at one time. I mean, over the years, I've spent thousands of dollars on you know a total uh, collection, but I'm like I would never drop that on like one thing. Hmm. Okay, well here's here's the other thing. I'm wondering, like, th- I know it has these unique slip cases with Matt's artwork, but is like are the discs just going to be the same as the discs that have been released, or, or like? Are there going to be extra special features on those discs? Like, will each of these movies have, like, an audio commentary, like, an exclusive audio commentary with, like, Kevin Feige and some of the people who worked on the films? Like, I feel like that might make it worth the $500 price tag if it had, like, bonus features that you couldn't get anywhere else. Like, not just that extra bonus disc, but, like, on every single disc. But if it's we just... don't know about that yet, but because I think what we're seeing here in this image is just um, like an early look from Best Buy. So we haven't gotten like the official breakdown, yeah. the official announcement about this. So it's possible that those discs do have extra commentary and extra content like that on there. So um, fingers crossed that at least that might make this <laughs> a little bit closer to worth it. Although, I don't know, I, I feel like you would have to actually have a full size Hulkbuster to, <laughs> to make it $550 really worth it. Well, it does seem like that Infinity Saga signed like Litho says something like one of 1500. So it, it does seem like this is going to be a limited edition. Uh, Chris, they don't expect that many people to buy it, just only 1500 uh, Marvel fans. <laughs> so there you have it. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's uh, on on the topic of Marvel. Let's talk about the Incredible Hulk. Uh, probably one of the worst Marvel films. Edward Norton uh, originally pitched Marvel two Incredible Hulk mo- movies. Uh, as we know, he had a falling out with the company, and, and now we know more with the, this 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 double movie pitch. Chris, what do we know? Yes, he did an inter- Edward Norton did an interview, and he was talking about his brief time with Marvel. And he said, quote, I laid out a two film thing, the origin and then the idea of the Hulk as the conscious dreamer, the guy who can handle the trip. And they were like, that's what we want. As it turned out, that wasn't what they wanted. So according to him, 
Marvel really liked his pitch to begin with. And then after they made the first film, they said, never mind, we are done with you, Edward Norton. Um, <laughs> uh, there's, you know, there's been rumors and stuff about he how he's difficult to work with. And, you know, he had a falling out with Kevin Feige. And, uh, you know, I doubt we'll ever know the 100 percent full story. But um, to hear Edward Norton tell, tell it, his ideas were kind of were darker and sort of like the Dark Knight like inspired and. Obviously, that's not what Marvel wanted, so that's why they went in a different direction. But who knows? He could be just saying that to save face. We we don't really know. But well, all I, we know I, is... I think that's kind of true because I isn't there that deleted scene where I guess the Hulk tries to kill himself or something like that that was later like talked about in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but like they right, cut, right, out yeah, the, like, cut out of yeah, the cut out of the movie. Said, I think it's yeah. I think he says he like shot himself in the mouth. And he spit the bullet out or something like that. Yeah, but. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure we needed a second Incredible Hulk movie because the first one wasn't. Uh, I, I honestly think, like, Chris, is it your least favorite of the Mar- MCU? I don't know if it's my least favorite. I mean, like, is it that or Iron Man two or I Thor: guess, The like, Dark I, World? I would say Iron Man two and Thor: The Dark World are worse movies, but I guess like Hulk is kind of like forgettable. I mean, I'd rather watch the Ang Lee one as messy as that is, at least it's like an interesting mess. Whereas this is just like boring. Ben, what about you? Is this the worst? No, I don't think it's the worst. I I would rather watch this over Thor, the dark world or Iron Man two any day. I think it's the worst anyways. uh, And by the way, it's not like Iron Man two is, is good, but I think this is less good. Uh, Okay, let's move on from the Marvel Cinematic Universe to the Star Wars universe. Uh, over the weekend, we or on Friday, we had Force Friday, Triple Force Friday. I actually went out for Triple Force Friday. I'll talk about that on the water cooler tomorrow. I recorded a video, which is online. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but because of Triple Force Friday, they're revealing all like the new Star Wars Rise of Skywalker merchandise. And one person is notably missing from most of it, and that is the character of Rose. But it it looks like not that she is not there, but she's actually been removed. What is going on here, Ben? Yeah, this is uh, this is not a great look for Disney and Lucasfilm. Not entirely certain what's happening here, but Jenny Nicholson, who is a, a sort of um, internet personality, a social media influencer, notable Star Wars fan, noticed that uh, several designs for merchandise actually included the original designs included Kelly Marie Tran's Rose Tico on it, but the actual designs of the merchandise, the, the ones that are being shipped to stores, have scrubbed her appearance from those products. So we're talking like uh, shirts, trading cards, tote bags, uh, tops, yeah, like I said, tops cards. Um, there's there's all sorts of, you know, sweatshirts, the whole thing. And then even like toys and stuff too. Like uh, apparently you won't be able to see like Black Series figures of uh, Rose Tico or anything like that. So it's a few years ago, we had this whole where's Ray situation. I'm sure we talked about that on the podcast at the time, or maybe that predated the podcast. Actually, I'm not entirely sure when that started. Yeah, I think it predated the podcast, but we did talk about it on the website. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was like, uh, um, Daisy Ridley's Ray was missing from a lot of the merchandise and she's the lead character of the, of the franchise. And people were understandably upset about that. Now, they're taking this supporting character of Rose and and seemingly wiping her from 
you know, from existence in terms of merchandising. And that's uh, angering a lot of people because many people think that this is Disney's sort of answer to uh, or, or attempt to cater to the fans who just hated Rose from The Last Jedi. And they're trying to, uh, I don't know, just like um, placate the people who despise that character. But there are plenty of people who love Rose. And I I don't know, I I just feel like, especially for Star Wars, which is a franchise that, you know, has has almost like perfected movie merchandise in terms of like toys and, and everything across the board. Right. And there are so many people who are diehard Star Wars fans who love collecting sets of of things why would you remove one of the key characters and and take this away from people who you know not not even just the diehard rose fans out there because i don't know how big that group is but just you know from a business perspective why would you limit the amount of of money that you could make from people trying to you know collect full sets of things with the main characters in the movie this just doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense to me um, well, there's three things that could be said here. Number one, uh, there has been this theory thrown out that that you know Lucasfilm and the Bad Robot uh, Mystery Box uh, didn't give assets to these people, and then the images that we saw with Rose in it were things created later in the in the production process and were not ready in time for the merchandising. You know, these T-shirts, these toys, and stuff like that have to be produced like a long time in advance. So there's that as a possibility. I'm just throwing out a possibility. <laughs> uh, number two, there's also the possibility that Rose does not play a big part in this movie. Um, uh, I, I, I've heard that. Um, there, there is, when I was on uh, the Force Friday search, I was able to find a Rose Funko Pop, but they also have a Funko Pop of, you know, Carrie Fisher's daughter's character. So, you know, fun, they make Funko Pops of everybody. They've made Funko Pops of everybody except for us guys. So uh, eventually... We'll have fun go pops. Um, so, yeah, I think there's those two possibilities. Um, there, there's also the possibility that the Rose merchandise for Last Jedi didn't sell well. Like, I know when I went to the D- Disney outlets, like, there was a lot of, like, uh, Rose merchandise there, like, her figures and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I, I this, this whole thing seems weird to me that, like, that they would remove her from, like, posters and artwork. Uh, Chris, what do you think is going on here? I really think it's Disney giving into the worst fan base out there. And I really wish that I, I wish I didn't think that I wish I thought, ah, Disney is above this, but I know they're not because they're a corporation, you know, as, as much as everyone likes to love Disney, they're not your friend folks. They're a billion dollar corporation. All they care about is, is money and the bottom line. And, the anti Rose fan base is very vocal. And uh, even though I don't think it's the majority, it is a very, it's a vocal minority. That's how I would put it of, of a fan base. Yeah. And they, you know, because they scream the loudest, they're the ones that Disney will listen to. Whereas people who do like Rose and, and like Kelly Marie transport performance, they're not out there like yelling on the internet because they don't have to. And so the, you know, Disney just gives into the, these shitheads, for lack of a better word, and I really wish they wouldn't. Well, I hope that's not the case, and I hope uh, maybe the Wave 2 of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker merchandise has some more Rose in it. 
Uh, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Disney is making strides in inclusion, and uh, they they've actually util- they're utilizing a new tool that I guess checks their film and TV scripts for a gender bias. What what is going on there? Yeah, so Gina Davis, who is the Oscar-winning actress who founded the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media back in 2004, she's been sort of at the forefront of representation in culture. Uh, She and her team have developed this new digital tool that uses artificial intelligence to check scripts for gender bias. And the Walt Disney Company has agreed to be like basically the test case for this thing to use to team up with them and use this tool on all of its upcoming film and TV projects. So it's basically a tool that uses machine learning. uh, I'm going to read here to rapidly analyze the text of a script to determine its number of male and female characters and whether they're representative of the real population at large. So it's important to note that Gina Davis doesn't view this as like a tactic to shame anybody that you know writers or filmmakers for uh writing one-sided screenplays or anything but she's trying to like shine a light on the unconscious bias that is in hollywood and hopefully provide opportunities to sort of correct those instances before these projects go into production um this for me it sounds like a really really cool idea and the idea that disney is like acknowledging that this is an area where they can improve is a big step in and of itself and that they're taking action is a cool thing here um i just think we should you know and i'm i'm curious what you guys think about this but for me it seems like uh this is you know as somebody i i, I assume all three of us think that represent, representation is a a very important area where hollywood can improve but at the same time Something like this should not necessarily be like the end all be all decision maker for how <laughs> movies are made, because, you know, if you have like the Shawshank for uh, Shawshank Redemption, for example, like if you made half of that cast women, yes, it would be an example of parody on screen, but it wouldn't make any sense at all because that story is set almost entirely in a men's prison facility. So I, I think it has to be on a case by case basis. But in terms of like a. Um, you know, a step in the right direction and certainly a helpful guideline for um, sort of opening people's eyes and and giving people opportunities to make um, substantive change. I think this is a really cool thing. I just feel like why have a tool for this? Like, why not just have someone like if you're Disney and you can afford to have this, like, why not have like a position, like one person that is there not only to like check every film and TV script for gender bias, but also uh, for, you know, insensitivity towards cultures and you know, like everything. Like it feels like that could be a position. They, they create so much content. Because the computers are out to take all of our jobs, Peter. You know this. I don't know. I just feel like it would be much easier to have a person who can, you know, have – the mindset to assess these things on a one-to-one basis over an algorithm but i don't know what do i know okay guys uh thank you right now i'm gonna bring on ht who was busy at new york comic-con all weekend some of last week uh ht are you there i'm here what's up i'm Uh, exhausted (laughs) yeah how was new york comic-con it was great. Um, it was a very different experience than covering San Diego Comic-Con, which both of them were my first times. But I actually had quite a nice time with San Diego, and I was meeting a lot of people and hanging out with you and Jacob. For New York Comic-Con, it was just kind of me by myself running around, <laughs> and it was raining because it's New York. And so – but it was um, – the panels I, w- I went to actually were um, quite enjoyable, and there's a little bit more news than I anticipated coming out of it. 
um, especially because we got a little sneak peek at Watchmen. Yeah, um, I know. I know you're transitioning into Watchmen, but you brought up the idea of San Diego Comic Con versus New York Comic Con, and I've never been to New York Comic Con, mm-hmm. so I'm really curious. Like, how do they compare? Well, the first thing I noticed is that New York Comic Con is a lot more family oriented. I noticed a lot of families there. And New York Comic Con, too, has a uh, partnership with Anime NYC. So there's just a lot of anime there in general. Yeah. Maybe this is just something I would have noticed, too, because I'm like, <laughs> wow, there's anime everywhere. Um, but it's definitely different because uh, New York Comic Con is not just in one location. Most of the panels and um, events are at the Javits Center, but then they also have very various panels at the Hammerstein Ballroom and other theaters kind of in the general area. So it's a little annoying to having to rush back and forth between different buildings that are like 10-minute walk away, several blocks apart. Hmm. Uh, Is it as busy as San Diego Comic-Con or is it because everything's been like kind of separated? Does that make that less busy or feel less busy? It did feel like the crowds getting there weren't too bad because it is more like spread apart. But I will say that the show floor and the artists alley were incredibly crowded. It was like back to back walking through. So I would say like some in some of the areas where they were the most crowded, it felt just kind of just like San Diego Comic Con in terms of the crowds. Cool. Um, okay, let's talk about Watchmen. I know you saw the pilot, and you're going to keep uh, most of that reaction for tomorrow on the water cooler. But what did you think? I really liked the pilot. Uh, I will say I'm actually glad I saw um, a couple episodes of The Leftovers before I watched this pilot because there's a lot of shared DNA with this Watchmen pilot and The Leftovers, at least the beginning of it. It sets up a rich, sprawling ensemble of characters who you uh, follow as this mystery is sort of seeded throughout and unfolds slowly through time. And um, it doesn't have a lot in common with the Zack Snyder style. It's much more grounded and realistic, um, but it does have a lot of callbacks and Easter eggs to the original graphic novel, especially, I will say, the squid which I really enjoyed oh. because uh, I missed the squid a lot in the movie. So I was happy to see that they very much leaned into the squid. But I'm very intrigued. Damon Lindelof seems to be a very confident um, creator, writer, director now. So I think that this is kind of almost like the culmination of him working in these kinds of uh, uh, this medium. One of the things I'm really curious about this Watchmen TV series is like, I feel like not a lot of people, I mean, people in our space have read the comic and have watched the movie, but mm-hmm. I think outside of that film bubble, people have not. So, like, is this TV series, or at least the pilot, like, is it accessible for those who have not had experience with Watchmen? I would say so. Um, I think that it does a really good job of introducing you to this world. Um, It's set 30 years after the events of the original Watchmen graphic novel in modern times, and it follows a new set of characters. So you're introduced to all these characters at the same time as longtime Watchmen fans are. Um, So you may not get all of the nods and callbacks and Easter eggs, but you can still be invested in these main characters, especially the character played by Regina King, who is just phenomenal in this pilot. Well, cool. Um, and uh, we have a link on the on the doc to reactions from everybody who is there. Uh, one of the interesting things Damon Lindelof said at the panel that you wrote up here is that this is only designed as one season. 
Yes. This is going to be a nine episode season. So they are not planning for now to extend the story beyond that one season. But uh, Damon Lindelof did hint that if the fans want more, uh, there might be more hmm. Watchmen. But the, the fact that it's designed, like, I, I think there was a quote there that, like, the arc, like, it, it concludes, like, it, almost like this is the story. Mm-hmm. That That is kind of crazy. Like, I, I wonder at the end of the, you know, at the end of, I guess, next year, if this is going to vie for, you know, best limited series or if this is going to, you know, be going for the best TV series at, like, the Golden Globes. I'm guessing limited series because you're right. It yeah. is being designed as a, a complete arc. And uh, if Damon Lindelof were to continue it, I wonder whether he would continue the story or if he would pick up with an entirely new story set in the Watchmen universe. It also seems crazy to me that HBO would be going into such a big property and only wanting one season. Like, you know, they just lost Game of Thrones. And I know mm-hmm. they're planning all these, you know, spinoffs and stuff. Uh, but it seems like they want, they need another franchise to to under the belt. And uh, I mean, it also seems like uh, you also saw Alex Garland's devs at the at the um, convention, and he also is saying it's gonna. He's planning on only one season. Yeah, it seems like it's the the era of creator driven limited series um, that like cable dro- cable networks are just kind of giving these really ambitious creators whatever they want to do, but only for one season, because I'm sure it's very expensive. And from what I saw of devs, it does look incredibly expensive. And Alex Garland did talk about at this panel how FX kind of gave him free reign and that even when he was working on films, he would have to jump through all these hoops and obstacles. But with FX, they kind of just let him do what he wanted. And um, you see that in the, um, we saw that in the the preview clips that they showed us, um, including one that was set at this sort of floating cube of an office that apparently was built out of complete gold leaf. So it was a gold leaf like um, covered wall, which is pretty expensive. And uh, it looked incredibly sleek and beautiful. So um, I, I don't, I'm not surprised that devs isn't going on for more than one season. What, what did you see from devs? Did you see like some clips? So we saw a, a few clips um, and a short teaser that looked very much in line with an Alex Garland um, project. Alex Garland, you may know as the director of Behind Ex Machina and Annihilation and the writer of books like The Beach. And so he um, is telling in the story uh, what he described as a story about determinism and the idea of whether we have free will or not. And basically devs is this... Um, subdivision of a tech company in Silicon Valley that is looking into this AI technology that can predict the future. And uh, that ends up becoming this great mystery that Sonoya Mizuno's character um, is trying to unravel. Uh, It sounds very ambitious. I think even some of the cast didn't really know what Alex Garland was talking about half the time, which is funny. (laughs) But um, So very Westworld vibes in that respect? Yeah, very... Very Westworld. I can definitely see that. Um, and I'm I'm really intrigued by it. The um, the style, again, is very Alex Garland, very minimalist, a lot of um, stark imagery and isolation and uh, really beguiling, but just not really um, clear imagery. And uh, it's uh, 
it, we should learn more details about this because we didn't really know much about devs leading into this series. But even learning more about what this plot will be, it's, I still can't really uh, say what it would be about. But um, I'm intrigued. And I have to say the, the clips that we saw in the teaser uh, were, were a good, good way to just um, get us excited about this. Well, very cool. I know we're going to talk to you more about New York Comic Con tomorrow on the water cooler. So we'll save that for then uh, because we've already gone way over our time limit on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but thanks for joining us. Uh, if you out there want to read any more of all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast, you can find them in the show notes or on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.